at the distillery, I'm the boss, and at the city, I have 5,000 bosses. Obviously, that's a little bit more of a, I think, a, a little more challenging, and I don't get to just make the decisions. I have to build consensus and, um, you know, do my best to make sure that these diverse opinions are are heard and respected and their uh, ideas, good, bad, or indifferent, are weighed and measured equally. From the American Craft Spirits Association and Craft Spirits Magazine, this is the Craft Spirits Podcast. I'm John Page, and today on the program, one man's journey from river guide to distiller to mayor of Salida, Colorado. As if being mayor and co-owner of Woods High Mountain Distillery wasn't enough, P.T. Wood is also the vice president of the American Craft Spirits Association. I actually met P.T. in person back in February, just before the pandemic forced the craft spirits industry and the rest of the world to shift gears. Today, we'll share parts of that interview along with a phone interview from mid-October. Over the course of both conversations, P.T. discusses running for public office, and he shares some insight on ACSA's efforts to help extend the much-needed relief of federal excise tax, better known as FET. He also talks about the early days of founding the distillery with his brother Lee. But first, he filled us in on how the pandemic is affecting life in Salida. Back in October, the city was faring quite well despite these strange times. Salida had recently released its August sales tax numbers, which were actually up 16% compared to last year. PT recently told us that occupancy was down to 25% at the distillery, and that while total sales were down, the total dollar per sale was up, at least. Now, during that October call, he mentioned that restaurants had expanded space outside, but he worried about business as colder weather loomed. Um, And obviously, we're at 7,000 feet in Colorado, so outdoor dining in another uh, few weeks here is going to be a real real challenge, unless you're, you know... (laughs) fully bundled and up for some kind of uh, Nordic experience. You have to be really brave, um, yeah. <laughs> you got to be pretty tough. Yeah. I'm probably not going to be doing a lot of that. <laughs> um, you know, we are we are lucky in that our ski area that is 20 miles from town is definitely more of a, um, an old school day sort of an area with a big you know, big parking lot just right at the base area. And it's definitely more focused on skiing than um, anything else. There aren't any hotel rooms up there or anything like that. So they should be able to function um, pretty well, which helps keep people coming to town um, and driving those sales tax dollars. Um, as far as the the tasting room itself, um, and I should say one other thing with the mayor stuff, I guess, we also have um, the regional hospital in town here, and we've been lucky that they've never been over about 50% uh, capacity. And That's so great. they've been, uh, they did, uh, they did shut down doing elective procedures uh, for a short while, late March and April, but um, they were able to get back into doing all the other um, medical stuff that they normally do fairly fairly quickly and uh, get back to where 
uh, the base for our region's flight for life. And so we see a lot of um, emergency rooms uh, care and that kind of thing. And that's all gone back to about normal now. Um, so that's good because that is a large uh, economic driver for us, certainly. Um, and then as far as the distillery goes, it was obviously kind of fell off a cliff in March um, and April. And usually that kind of second, uh, second week of March, about the time everything got shut down is when uh, the spring break crowds really kick in and we get a, a ton of visitors here. Um, things get really busy and usually it's one of our busier months of the year at the, at the tasting room. Um, so obviously that hurt when we had to completely shut down um, completely. It wasn't quite completely shut down. We were able to keep uh, production going and then do bottle sales out of our tasting room. Um, we did switch to hand sanitizer. And so we were also uh, um, moving that out of the out of the um, tasting room and a lot of people we were just doing that for what we had into it so it was I think an eight ounce bottle was four bucks or something like that okay um, so you know just what basically what it cost us to do um, and that was actually that that money we donated back to a local nonprofit um, but what that did do was get a num you know enough traffic coming into the tasting room um, and folks were super appreciative that we were doing that. So it really helped drive some bottle sales, which kept it from being a total, uh, 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 those months from being a total disaster, although we were down oh, 40, 50% for March, April, uh, May. Um, and then our June, things picked back up, but it was down maybe, we were about 80% of normal, I think, out of the tasting room in June. Um, and then, boy, July, August, September, um, October have been uh, some of our busiest uh, busiest months that we've ever had in the tasting room. Oh, wow. And so just, yeah, so despite those three months kind of going off a cliff, we're actually, as of just this week, we are up year over year um, That's out great. of the tasting room. And then distribution has just been kind of steady. That hasn't really changed. And that's about distributions, maybe 50, 60% of our overall business. Okay. So that, you know, that's been steady. And so overall, we've actually fared pretty well throughout all of this. And I know not all of our friends in the business can say that. And I, I feel really bad for, uh, for those folks. I know uh, Colorado, our our laws make it exceptionally easy to, to be in the distilling uh, business. And then with the uh, cocktails to go and we were able to deliver, you had to have a, a employee do the delivery, but we've been able to do that. And so, you know, um, luckily our, the law has, and the uh, state has been supportive of our business. So you, you were kind of started uh, going to the place that I was going to go to with my next question when you were talking about those those first few months of the pandemic mm -hmm. and i'm I'm curious take take me back to that that time those I guess when everything 
really started to shut down and there was yep. a lot of uncertainty and, and, and fright for good reason. Um, what was it like at that time having to navigate things as P.T. Woods, P.T. Wood of Woods High Mountain Distillery and also P.T. Wood Mayor? Yeah, sure. And I'll, uh, I have it actually marked on my wall calendar here. So we had a, uh, we had an employee meeting on March 17th and we were like, okay, what do you guys want to do? We know this is a highly contagious disease. Here's what we can do and to keep you guys safe and to keep our customers safe. And I think, you know, this is going to work, but we'll cut capacity and all this. Um, and then, um, actually had a city council meeting that night where we talked about um, what we were going to do to keep everybody safe. And then on the 18th, the governor shut down restaurants, um, shut down everything, basically. And we were like, well, okay, what are we going to do? Um, how is this going to work? Ah. Um, and we were able to kind of shift and transition. But I think... Um, for you know the distillery that side of the work actually was it really kind of quieted down there you know our tasting room wasn't full of people every day um i wasn't getting calls from uh from outs from uh restaurants and bars and liquor stores and you know doing all the normal things that i do during uh the day for the distillery all of a sudden we were just doing uh production and then uh, a few bottle sales out the front and so that really just calmed everything down i wasn't running a lot of employees i just had beck coming in to help me and um but the mayor stuff kind of really really blew up right then we started to have our uh our daily uh COVID um, roundtable calls with uh, the county commissioners, Buena Vista, Poncha Springs, which are the other two municipalities in the county, um, EMS, the hospital, the schools, um, emergency management. Every, you know, all those groups, we were coming together every day saying, okay, this is what's going on. This is what we're doing. What else can we do? What's it look like to you, to you? And just having these, uh, Oh, they were typically a couple, like an hour to two hour discussions. And then we also fired up the, uh, the ACSA COVID working group not long after that, starting to talk about hand sanitizer and all that. And those were, um, those were calls that we were having uh, three times a week, I believe. Um, and then my calls with uh, Oh, CAST, which is the Colorado Association of Ski Towns, with uh, CC4CA, which is the uh, Colorado Cities for Climate Action, and um, CML, which is the Colorado Municipal League. We were all ramping up our conversations all around how can we help our communities, how can we um, make this, you know, how can we help positive outcomes out of all of this stuff. And so I was <laughs> between my the phone calls and kind of the uh, oh, kind of pieces I was writing 
about what we were doing, what was going on, what we were expecting, all that. I was definitely, you know, eight, 10 hours a day working on COVID stuff along with everything else um, with the distillery stuff I was doing. So it got, it got really, really busy there actually for a long time. And then, you know, Lee and I were trying to get our stuff together so we could get some PPP money um, for the distillery, um, working on getting an, um, we were working on applying for our idle loan, uh, all those things just to make sure our business uh, survived as well. And then talking with uh, the Colorado LED, the liquor enforcement guys and the governor's office and our, our senators and you name it. It was pretty wild, the number of conversations that were going on and everybody just trying to figure out, okay, what are we, one, what are we doing? And two, how do we uh, make sure that we have the best possible outcomes. After a break, PT tells us how a river trip down the Grand Canyon inspired him to start a distillery. This podcast is a production of the American Craft Spirits Association and Craft Spirits Magazine. ACSA is the only registered national nonprofit trade group representing the U.S. craft spirits industry. Through conventions, webinars, publications, competitions, special programs, and more, it's our mission to elevate and advocate for the community of craft spirits producers. Learn more at AmericanCraftSpirits.org. Craft Spirits Magazine is the unparalleled resource for in-depth insight and intelligence for the entire craft spirits universe. The bi-monthly digital magazine features the information and analysis that small independent spirits producers and allied businesses need to operate in today's complex craft beverage market. To see our latest issue and subscribe for free, visit craftspiritsmag.com. PT is an avid outdoorsman who first moved to Salida to be a river guide, but it was in another state in the mid-90s when he first got the idea to start a distillery. This part of the conversation was recorded at the distillery just weeks before COVID-19 was declared a pandemic, so you'll hear some background music and noise from the tasting room. I was on the Grand Canyon with uh, Peter Simonson, one of the local bar owners here, and he had brought two uh, rocket boxes, which are ammo cans, kind of metal thing, uh, full of full of whiskey. I think he had brought maybe uh, 16 different uh, whiskeys, which in the mid-90s was uh, more variety in whiskey than I had ever seen. And there were scotches and some bourbons and some Irish whiskeys, and we over the course of a, a 24-day trip oh, down wow. the Grand Canyon, um, sampled all of them. And by maybe day 18 or so, I was convinced I was going to make whiskey for a living someday. I, I wanted to make my own product and take it down the Grand Canyon, which but I did, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so... Some time goes by between that trip <laughs> yeah. and the distillery. What yep. what were all the hurdles you had to jump through? Well, so originally, I at that time I was actually a kayak salesman. So I was doing I was a kayak rep and independent rep. I was working for a kayak company, a bunch of accessory stuff, and it was kind of a 
a golden age of kayaking, it seemed like, in the late, uh, uh, the, the late 90s, early double aughts there. I almost said 80s. I <laughs> get a little senile, I guess. But um, it was the best job ever. But I had this idea that it wasn't going to last forever, obviously. And uh, we were working on doing the distillery. And um, in 2001, um, we tried to open this place. And the ATF, at the time, was doling out the licenses, but they were tied up with 9-11 had just happened, um, the world was in chaos, and the last thing they wanted to do was talk to, to me about opening a distillery. So I kind of gave up. Um, I bought a pizza place, actually. Gave up. I had, I had two small kids. I couldn't be on the road traveling anymore, doing all that. So I quit um, selling kayaks and went into the pizza business and did that for a number of years. And then in, uh, oh, I think it was 2005 or six, we were in Silverton and our buddies uh, Karen and Bryce had opened Montagna down there. And we started to go in there every year. We went down for a little ski trip at Silverton. We'd stop in at, uh, at Montagna and I was like, man, this it's happening you can do this now and uh, I went on a river trip someone brought out one of the very first uh, editions of Stranahan's and it was like okay it's on and from then on 2005 six, seven, I was trying to figure out how to get back into this business and it took a little extricating of the uh, getting out of the pizza business and doing a few other things my brother and i bought s mountain which you probably saw back here which is the big yeah. iconic mountain behind slida we bought that from a ranching family and i went to the city and told them i was going to put like 25 houses up there and they freaked out <laughs> didn't think that was cool you're right um and then i was like well okay well you don't like that how about if you trade me for this piece of property and they did and so my brother and i developed this other little piece of property sold that off and that actually provided some seed money to get the actual distillery going um, up and off the ground and then uh, well, I think I started to go to conferences in 2009 maybe they're not it was pretty quiet but we started to go figure out some stuff and then uh, oh, 2010 a buddy of mine called me up and he's like hey my my father-in-law has this still do you want it and i was like heck yeah i want that still let's let's do this and uh within a few hours i corralled a buddy and we were halfway across kansas and um, headed to louisville to buy this this still and i i didn't know how big the still was i didn't know how much the still was i had no idea we were just not, i was gonna go get it and it turned out luckily that it fit in the back of my truck and <laughs> i could afford it um, and we brought that back, and that's actually our little uh, antique German pot still that we uh, still use to this day. That's beautiful, and it uh, it is from that still has come a lot of beautiful uh, yeah. products. Which some uh, no one can see these, but there's a lot of bottles out on the table right now, and I'm actually drinking a delicious old fashioned from uh, from the bar. Yeah. 
but yeah, kind of talk to me about some of your products and what what uh, what's the best selling? Uh, what are the things that you're excited about? Also, oh man, I'm excited about everything we do. But uh, it's been a it's been interesting because we started out with this idea of doing whiskeys for river trips. But if um, if you've ever been on a multi-day desert river trip, there's a lot of flat water during the day, and kind of the go-to for those are gin and tonics. Mm. And so I I wanted to do a really approachable, kind of traditional-ish gin that would work really well with tonic that'd be super refreshing for your day trip on that river trip. And um, we did that with our tree line, which was actually our very first product that we uh, brought out, uh, brought to market. Okay. Um, our Tenderfoot whiskey, which we still do to this day, was our second. We started to do that from day one, but obviously it took a while to age. Originally, we were doing that in, uh, oh, like 10-gallon barrels and aging it for six months. And it was, I thought that was, a, it was a pretty decent whiskey even then. I think batch three, we got a, oh, an 84. Five or 87 from Lou Bryson at, at uh, Whiskey Advocate. He thought it was a super interesting whiskey and a little affirmation at that point, really young into the game that maybe yeah. we were on to something. Um, but we were doing a, a pretty complex grain bill with really narrow uh, cuts. So a really just putting a sweet juice in the barrel um, building a lot of flavor in there to begin with, and then um, using really uh, high-quality barrels from Kelvin Cooperage with with uh, uh, 24 to 36-month air-dried staves, so we weren't putting anything nasty from the barrel into uh, into the whiskey, and the whiskey was turning out pretty good. And over um, over time, we find we got it a little bit older. We got into started to put it into 25 gallon barrels, into 53 gallon barrels, aging it more and more. And uh, I think um, it's turned into an, an amazing product. Our original Tenderfoot is still um, 18 to 24 months, super young but delicious and soft and not um, doesn't have that young whiskey bitterness that I think you get. Okay. And then we're doing a, a four to five year old version of that or Sawatch whiskey out of 53 gallon barrels that I'm really excited about. It, super limited quantities on that, but it's a it's complex, it's interesting, it's something you can sit there with for a long period of time and really suss out different stuff. Um, we do a rye whiskey, which is maybe the furthest from a traditional rye whiskey that you can get. It's mostly malted rye, but then there's some specialty barleys in there, some chocolate bar barleys, some cherrywood smoked barley, so you get these Oh, dark chocolate coffee flavors and that phenolic smokiness and a little bit of stone fruit. And it's, uh, I'm not sure we 
we enter that one in a lot of competitions and it gets uh, it's interesting to read the tasting notes because people either love 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 it or they just don't freaking get it so and that's I think that's something that we're all about is we want something that is not going to be for everybody right absolutely you're either going to love it or you're not going to get it and we're okay with that yeah so and then you also are dabbling in vodka now <laughs> we are and that's been uh kind of a uh crazy cool project that we just started um about nine months ago and that was something we're in salida colorado which is um just over Poncha Pass from the San Luis Valley, which is one of the larger potato growing regions in the country. And so a bunch of farmers will come up that friends of mine, they love to come up to the Salida and come to the uh, tasting room and hang out. And they've been pushing me for, for years to do a potato vodka. And I was um, focused on our whiskey and on our gin products and doing our thing. And Finally, I decided that I should probably give it a go, and it's been uh, one one of the harder things I've ever tried to distill. <laughs> it is not easy to make potato vodka, I can tell you that. Yeah. Uh, but it's a product I'm super excited about. I was always like, ah, oh, vodka, yeah, it's kind of, you know, there's not much there. It tastes like uh, rubbing alcohol or whatever, but... <laughs> um, I think our potato vodka has this beautiful, thick, syrupy mouthfeel. It's got a sweetness, a real earthiness that comes from the potatoes. And it's uh, a little more traditional, like Eastern European kind of Russian style that you can tell that it was distilled. And yeah. it's, it's awesome. Speaking of Salida, it truly is one of the most beautiful places in a state overflowing with them. I asked PT what makes it such an amazing place for him to live and work. So we're right on the banks on the headwaters of the Arkansas River, which is one of the classic rivers in the U.S., uh, one of the great whitewater rivers in the, in the country. We're banked on the west by 15, 14,000 foot peaks. The town itself is about 7,000 feet, so we have about 7,000 feet plus of, uh, of vertical relief within the valley itself. Um, all of our water comes from the tops of those peaks that's stored up there as snow in the wintertime and then run off in the, in the summer. Um, I try and get up there on my skis and keep an eye on, the, on next year's uh, uh, water for the whiskey because you know someone's got to keep an eye on that exactly um and it's it's a super interesting climate so we have because of that bank of fourteen thousand foot peaks the storms will come in from the west stack up on the peaks we have epic snow up at monarch pass powder skiing constantly all winter long and yet down here in the valley today you could have worn shorts and a t-shirt and gone paddling, trout fishing, ride your mountain bike. It's a, it's a crazy juxtaposition of, of weather. Yeah. Uh, and so you moved here to be a, a river guide. Mm -hmm. um, and now you're the mayor. 
<laughs> and, you, and you're the yeah. co-owner of this distillery. Yep. Uh, and you're also, you're an ACSA board member and you yep. sit on the committee chair. Yep. Uh, so I'm wondering how you make time for everything and <laughs> what what's your secret with time management? <laughs> That's a good, I have no idea. Um, it's actually, it's, it's one of those things where I, I find that the more I have to do, the more efficient I am at doing it. And if I'm not super busy, I'm a procrastinator and really bad at getting stuff done. So it's super useful to, to stay busy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've, I've always been kind of a guy that thinks that if you care about something, you should be involved in it. And, um, so I try and do that, I guess. Yeah. Well, and, and also I'm curious, uh, you know, like y- your email sign off or your business card has all these really cool titles on it. And also you've been a river guide and, yep. you know, you mentioned running a pizza joint. You have to have had some kind of job, though, at some point that was just had a terrible. Have you had any kind of bad job in your life? No. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. I've... Uh, I, I moved up here, so I went, to, I, I moved to Durango, Colorado, went okay. to college there in the 80s. I worked at the ski area. Um, I worked at a few bars. Um, I moved up here to be a river guide. I did that for a while. Ran an outdoor shop. I was a kayak uh, gear sales rep. Um, owned a pizza place. Built houses which was awesome. I love building stuff. Um, and then open the distillery. So I'm, I've loved every job I've ever had. They've all been super fun. Which which of, or, or if any of those, prepared you the most for running a distillery? Being a carpenter. Really? Yeah. Figuring stuff out. You know, you have a, so you have a pile of, of, lumber in front of you and how do you put that together in a way that somebody can live in it and live in it aesthetically and and make them happy yeah and i think that's uh it's a big challenge it's hard and it it it's a lot like owning a distillery where you have this pile of grain or potatoes or whatever you're whatever it is, and you're going to build that into something that makes folks happy. After a final break, more from PT on the life of a distiller slash mayor. This podcast is a production of the American Craft Spirits Association and Craft Spirits Magazine. ACSA is the only registered national nonprofit trade group representing the U.S. craft spirits industry. Through conventions, webinars, publications, competitions, special programs, and more, It's our mission to elevate and advocate for the community of craft spirits producers. Learn more at AmericanCraftSpirits.org. Craft Spirits Magazine is the unparalleled resource for in-depth insight and intelligence for the entire craft spirits universe. The bi-monthly digital magazine features the information and analysis that small independent spirits producers and allied businesses need to operate in today's complex craft beverage market. To see our latest issue and subscribe for free, visit craftspiritsmag.com. Back in February, I asked PT which was harder, running a distillery or being the mayor of Salida. 
After all that he and the city have been through in the past year, I posed the same question to him again this October. Yeah. It depends on the day, but I think the uh, probably the mayor part is the harder stuff just because, you know, at, at the distillery, I'm the boss, and at the city, I have 5,000 bosses. Um, so obviously that's a little bit more of a, I think, a, a little more challenging, and I don't get to just make the decisions. I have to build consensus and, um, you know, do my best to make sure that these diverse opinions are are heard and respected and their uh, ideas, good, bad, or indifferent, are weighed and measured equally. So I hope that's the answer I gave in February too. That that is basically the same answer. Yes. <laughs> good. Good. Um, and and so I'm curious to know what you think makes a distiller or just a distillery owner um, a good fit for a, a person to to run for and serve in public office. Sure, and I you know I think. Probably the number one thing is the uh, ability to to kind of turn on a dime. You may be sitting there doing uh, sales one minute and then, you know, sweating a copper pipe the next and fixing a pump. And then you're out doing customer service out in the tasting room and uh, trying to, you know, balance your employee uh, personalities. And if you have a tasting room, that's a those folks are completely different than the production folks in the back um, and their personalities don't always mesh. And so there's tons of, uh, tons of balancing and uh, ability to uh, shift your focus on a dime. And I think those things really serve you well in, uh, if you're uh, in public service. Yeah. So, so I also wonder have you or do you ever worry about your own pol- political views affecting how others might view your business? Like I, th- I think about the Michael J- how Michael Jordan had that you know famous line about how everybody buys oh. shoes. Right. Yeah. No. Um, I I really haven't ever worried about that. I think if I'm doing my my best possible work for the city and respecting everybody and listening to everybody, even if they don't get their way at the end of the day, they'll, they'll respect uh, me and what I'm doing. And I think that's, that's proven out. Um, I think we've been since, uh, since the spring when the black lives matter uh, stuff really started to come out and, the animosity around that started to happen. We've not been uh, bashful at all about um, our stance on supporting Black Lives Matter, on supporting um, our LGBTQ plus friends. Um, you know, we have our um, gay pride, Black Lives Matter um, flag flying out front. We've had it out there all year, and then we have our sign in the window that says that. And I, you know, I, I've never beat around the bush at all about where I stand on those issues. And I think even folks that maybe are uncomfortable with some of those issues can respect that. Yeah, totally. 
Um, shifting gears back to uh, ACSA, uh, you you mm-hmm. hinted at it a minute ago, but you were in the midst of the pandemic, named VP of uh, Vice President mm-hmm. of the ACSA Board. I think for a second time. Yep, for a second time. Um, so just kind of tell us right now, as as things stand, we're we're obviously talking right now in mid October. Um, yep. FET extension yep. is still mm-hmm. out there. Um, yep. Let's talk a little bit about that, and then just tell me a little bit about uh, a general message of of what the board and ACSA will be focusing on in the coming months. Sure. Yeah. So that was <laughs> that was some interesting timing, right? Because that was right before our conference was supposed to happen. That everything got right shut down i think the uh uh what the acsa is supposed to be like maybe the 29th of march is when that started so the world I've, shut down about two weeks ahead of that yeah I, f- I forget the exact timing i just know that we were we were all in kind of like a will we won't we what's gonna happen and then right. the governor of oregon basically made the decision for us right yeah just shut everything down and so um but we shifted right into the, uh, you know, what are we, what can we as an organization do to make sure that, um, you know, not only our members, but our entire industry um, survives this crisis. And um, folks really started to uh, shift into hand sanitizer as well. And we're like, well, let's make sure that we're putting information out there so that folks are doing this safely, uh, effectively, and legally. And um, I, I think I'm really, really proud of the uh, of the uh, group that did that. Becky did an amazing job of going out there. Mark did a uh, she did a great job of coming up with information. Margie, as always, just killed it. Her and the, the whole uh, staff. Um, and we were able to get the right information out there and make it clear, easy to understand, and easy to follow. We were able to get out, work with the uh, with the FDA, with the Department of Transportation, with uh, everybody involved. All those, you know, letter agencies at the government, the TTB, everybody, and make sure that um, not only we could do could our uh, Distillers make hand sanitizer, but they weren't going to be penalized or overregulated with it. So that was pretty cool. Um, And then during all of that, we're also still looking at the FET stuff, trying to figure out how we're going to get that through and get it permanent and what's going on with that. That's, um, again, as you said, it's still out there and still up in the air. Um, We're relatively confident or at least hopeful that will get um, it on an extenders bill in the lame duck session. Again, it doesn't, we were hoping to get it uh, some kind of vote on permanency um, before the October recess, but that um, kind of got blown up. And especially with the, the death of uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, all focus went to that and there was there was no oxygen left to really talk about our FET reduction anymore. So I think at this point, we're looking at coming back after the election in the lame duck session 
and making sure that we get that attached to an extender. The Really the disappointing thing about that is next year will be a new Congress. And so the bill that we have now with the 370 some co-sponsors in the House and the 75, 76 in the Senate goes away. And we're gonna have to get back out there and knock on those doors and make our case yet again for why for, uh, our representatives um, and centers should co-sponsor this and why they should be on board and what it means for um, not only our distillers, but the towns they're in, the farmers they work with, the bottle suppliers, uh, you name it, the tourism offices in their in their states, everybody that we um, that we affect. And so it's going to be <laughs> It's going to just be a lot of work yet again, and this is something we've been working really, really hard on for just 10 years. It's uh, maybe longer, and it's yeah, kind of the you almost get to the top of that hill, and then you look over the horizon, and you got another 10,000 feet of uphill to go. It's pretty it's, right, uh, pretty wild. Well, on top of that, it's just obviously it's been a strange year in general um i was thinking maybe to just kind of close things out could you just leave some mm -hmm. some words of wisdom or words of support for for your colleagues in the craft spirits community as we navigate yeah. these strange times yeah i think this is uh it's one of those times where it's you just got to take it a day at a time and keep plugging away. And I know those folks that haven't been able to have their tasting rooms open or their um, distribution has fallen off because folks are buying more uh, value branded spirits, that kind of thing. Just keep plugging away and, and we'll get we'll get to the other end of this one way or another. Well, that's our program for today. I want to thank PT for chatting with us not once, but twice on both sides of this pandemic. And if you're interested in learning about other distillers who are serving in public office or about all things distilling, check out the November issue of Craft Spirits Magazine at craftspiritsmag.com, where you can subscribe for free. We'll be back in a few weeks with a conversation with Jeff Kanoff of Copperworks Distilling Company in Seattle. Until then, thanks for listening and cheers. Cheers.